So, this is the fourth and final episode in our um, Black History Month, UK Black History Month sequence uh, of Real History, the podcast that looks at whether on uh, history films or historically set films and asks questions about how real or how accurate, how much of an effort was made on the history side of the entertainment. My name is Hugh David, I'm your co-host and co-producer, and with me is Jenna Pateman, our co-host, the other co-host and co-producer. Jenna, hello. Hi. And we are here today to talk about a British movie again. So we've done two American movies and two British movies this month. Yes. Um, and in this case, the film is... Bell. Bell, which is quite recent. Which, and... of course, when I was speaking to my daughter, thought that was a completely different film. Of course, she thought it was Disney. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so we should give the character in the film her full name, which is Dido Elizabeth Bell. Yes. Lady Dido Elizabeth Bell, really. But because she's technically a slave, they don't use the lady as much. No. Um, so this is a very recent film, worth pointing out. It's a 2013 film, period drama, uh, both written and directed by black women. Oh, is it? That's yes. Cool. And starring uh, Gugu Mbatha-Raw, who is a great British actress. Oh, yes, she was. Uh, I really enjoyed her performance. In addition, we have... And she's surrounded by a fantastic cast that includes Tom Wilkinson, Miranda Richardson, Penelope Wilton, uh, Sam Reed, Matthew Good, uh, Emily Watson, and, of course, doing what he always does very, very well, Tom Felton. Yes! Just being Draco. (laughs) Being uh, particular, well, being an adult Draco, yes, because <laughs> he does something quite, quite nasty. Yeah, like like the sort of thing that you can't do in a Harry. They wouldn't have done in a Harry Potter film until they were all past eighteen. <laughs> um, so presumably, it could still happen. But um, so the, the film is inspired by a painting from seventeen seventy nine, mm. and uh, it is a painting of both. Bell, Dad Elizabeth Bell, and her cousin Lady Elizabeth Murray, and it is a it is widely regarded as a painting in which the two ladies are given rel- for the period at least relatively equal prominence. Yes, in the portraiture. Uh, given the conventions of the time in portraiture, now this has led to some investigation by the people who made the film. Uh, it's worth pointing out that that painting itself has been part of exhibitions now and various uh, efforts to educate the public on uh, how slavery uh, eventually was dealt with in Britain and Mm. how uh, here in Britain itself the law started to move away from the validity of slavery which inevitably started to affect the rest of the empire bit by bit. Um, and so uh, slave trade, just to clarify, was not actually abolished until 1807 itself. No. And this film is set earlier. Um, it is the, the it is set when Belle herself is relatively young, but it conflates a number of different events from throughout her life into one year. Uh, yeah. doing, it does that movie thing, doesn't it? Yes, basically yeah. go, let's take this entire life and go squidge. Yes, yes. Which, it has to be said, makes for a very satisfying film. Yes. You know, um, I think we always start by talking about the history, but I think let's start let's let's start with by talking about the film, and then we'll come back to the history oh, today. Because yes. le- we both agree it's an incredibly enjoyable film. Yes, 
and just get into what because I'd never seen it before. Uh, mm-hmm. It was on your recommendation. This one. So ah yes, I... yes, uh, yeah. Last week was your was your husband's recommendation, <laughs> and then this week was yours. Yes, it was yes. mine. Sorry, yes, carry on. Yeah. So it was very enjoyable to get to watch it. It kind of uh, it had a nice, as we were saying before the podcast, like a Downton. You were talking about Downton. And yeah, it's got that, that kind of level of quality, hasn't it? Yeah, and it is a film that you could definitely watch with a cup of tea kind of yes. thing. But the... at the same time, is dealing with some harsh stuff from British history, which is very mm. important. So, I yeah. think it finds an incredibly good balance. Yes. It's a period drama which has, which has the things that people like in Britain in a period drama. So it's the frocks and it's the house, the rich houses and the lovely settings and the clip-clop of horses as and they hats. go through. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and and uh, yes, yes. Oh, I did want to wear a tricorn hat again after watching this. <laughs> um, uh, Sam Reed's, Sam Reed's fictionalized version of Davinier wears it so well. And I was mm. just like, hmm, I want one of those. Um, but, uh, but also, you know, it's the clip-clop of, of horses and carriages going through streets that seem to be suspiciously clean of horse manure yes. uh, <laughs> you know it's that kind of film um but in as you say it deals with with very very important issues um mm. and it deals with a very very important moment in british society in which you see the interaction between the social standards of british society and those very issues mm. and you see not just a young woman growing up in a Britain in which she is still technically a slave um, even though she has standing and inheritance from the fact that she is uh, she has an English father English Navy father yeah. uh, but her mother was a slave um, and she has been brought as a little child to be raised by the English side of the family which happens to be the very noble and very well known Earl of Mansfield yes now, the Earl of Mansfield is important in British history. So the first Earl of Mansfield, I should say, is important in British history, William Murray, because he would he was a prominent lawyer who would become the Lord Chief Justice of England. And in so doing, he would be the person who would sit and hear crucial court cases that would affect British law a number of ways. Um, he's particularly well known for advance... I mean, he was also an MP. He didn't want want to be one particularly, but eventually it became necessary in order for him to ascend in the legal field. Mm. Um, he's, mo- he's extremely well known for changing what we call mercantile law. So in other words, merchant law. So laws relating to commerce mm. in that English laws were still incredibly behind the times. They were based on medieval customs, whereas Europe had reformed and modernized uh, law in general for trading and he made a big effort to bring British law in line with uh, European law. It sounds funnily familiar this doesn't it? Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. snuggle up in my blanket a bit more now. No, no, it's, it's, it's so funny I was doing the research on this and I was just like Really? Somebody who wanted to bring us in line with modernised Europe in... Ooh, when was this? Oh, this would have been... Um, uh, oh, hang on, I'm just looking for the cases. Um, 18th century? Yes, yes, yes. I'm just, uh, I'm just having a general look at some of the cases that were there. And um, uh, just the whole business of how he approached it. Um, yes, I mean, it's 18th century, but it's also sort of the things he had to deal with because he's dealing with... Um, 
this was it. He made it. He, he defined his position by saying that I quote: "The daily negotiations and property of merchants ought not to depend on subtleties and niceties, but upon rules easily learned and easily retained, because they are dictates of common sense drawn from the truth of the case." Isn't that a wonderful phrase? Yes. He's saying we. Funnily enough, like something else has just happened recently, we can't just rely on traditions. We must have laws. Uh, <laughs> yes. You know, the, Mansfield in that sense is an incredibly modern, forward-looking man of his time. And so he's an... A, that makes him perfect for Tom Wilkinson to play. And B, it also makes sense as to how and why he would um, be, you know, be a good uncle to his... Sorry, great-uncle to Dido. To Dido um, yes. But also why he would, if you know, wrestle with mentally, or you know, with this what what the standards are of Britain and how to move forward because he was trying to move other aspects of Britain forward. Yes. Copyright law was another one. Licensing for print was another one. You know, the whole hmm. business of when you have when things are printed, how long they can then remain under copyright. That was a big yeah. thing for him. And then finally, two very famous cases that had to do with slavery. What Which is, is the reason that we're talking about this film, basically. Exactly. So. Because he, Mans, Lord Mansfield ruled in the Somerset case on the legality of keeping slaves in England, and then he also ruled on the case of the slave ship Zong. A few, he, that was about, uh, that was over a decade later. And this film, so in both cases, Dido is still his great niece during the period, mm-hmm. but this film focuses almost entirely on the second case, because the second case is very, is far more well known than it used to be, because since the creation of the national curriculum in Britain, it has been a core lesson in teaching the slave trade um, in in history classes. So even if you don't do the slave unit in itself for history, most schools that do the, when you do the industrial revolution unit for year eight or year nine, depending on what school you're in, you have a tendency to look at the case of the slave ship Zong. Yes. Now I didn't learn about the Zong until I was actually in university. Okay. So this is something more that has come up recently and it's refreshing to know that this sort of stuff is being taught Mm. um well 20 years ago when i started it was definitely being taught and i've taught it again more recently but it's certainly there's a lot less time available for it now than there used to be yeah well Mm. maybe i just didn't have good teachers at school Uh, maybe (laughs) (laughs) i apologize to any teachers listening to this we're not going to mention where jenna went to school (laughs) Yeah, um, there's a reason that I didn't take history GCSE or A level and then skip straight to the grade. <laughs> well, there you go, there you go. Because obviously in my first year, people were like, "Oh, what sort of marks did you get in history GCSE A level?" I was like, "None." Wow. <laughs> but the point, but that's the thing. That's why I think you're so brave going back to it now at degree level and making such a good fist of it. Thank you. <laughs> I think it, I think it's been a wonderful. It's been really wonderful watching you tackle this massive task, uh, you know, year by year, and just achieve really well. Thank you you know, um, you know, I just I don't think it's easy for anybody, and and the fact that you've t- taken it on, you know, with everything else that's going on in your life, and mm. and now you're doing a podcast about it, which is even better. You know, we yes. get to tell everyone else about it, which I think is amazing, and have um, fun, and get to talk to each other every week. So let's tell everyone what the Zong is about. So let, but before that, I think you made a point earlier when we were just discussing this podcast that we need to explain to people the triangular trade in brief. So yes, 
let's do that. So, do you want do you want to do it or shall I do it? Uh, we can both do it. So, okay. So um, you start. Very simply, the uh, the triangular trade was uh, going from Britain to Africa to America back to Britain. Yes. Um, so boats would leave from Britain to take um, slaves that were captured by different tribes in Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, they would buy them off these tribes, um, take them over to America because they had a sort shortage of labour because they were starting to harvest these very high-intensity crops like sugar and cotton and that sort of thing, and they needed the manpower. This would then transfer into money and wealth that would then be taken back to Britain, and then the whole thing would happen again. So going in a lovely big triangle, uh, we would give money and guns and... uh, materials to these tribes in exchange for these people and by that it kind of caused a arms race in africa because people started doing wars to capture slaves rather than slaves being the result of war kind Mm. of thing so and it's something that's still felt everywhere now like i was saying uh my town where i live uh cheltenham spa is built up on slave money. Uh, Bristol, which is very near, is was one of the biggest ports, and it's only started recently, sort of actually highlighting its slavery history. Um, it's starting to slowly take steps into actually recognizing it. So, yeah, this whole area is people don't want to recognize it, but it, it it's very much there. If that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I would add one other thing to that. Two other things, actually, I would add to that. One is, um, in addition to those tribes that were getting rich by selling other tribes... Uh, people to the westerners there was also raiding parties by the westerners themselves yes directly uh you know it, it there's several levels to the slave trade of the era um i would also point out that it's not just america it's the americas yes. because latin america obviously this is how we get such a huge black population in brazil and yeah. i think the, i think the third and final point i'd add to this is that it's not that there was a shortage of labor it's just that so much as the the settlers, pardon me. Oh, sorry. No, let, me, let me start again. <laughs> it, so it's not so much that um, there was a shortage of labour as Western settlers in the Americas didn't want to have to do the work themselves. Yes. And I mean, they'd done some of it, but they needed it done at a very at a large scale, and there weren't enough of them. And yeah. they could not successfully force the Native Americans to do it. No, because many of them had died because of the diseases we had brought yes. over. Um, they but, tried enslaving them, but they kind of went, nope. Yeah. And um, so they were like, hmm, where should we turn for our labour now? So, But also not every, uh, they're not tribes people, I'll call them what they are, the nations. Yeah. Not every member of the nations, not every nation in North America um, farmed. 
No. Some were nomads, some settled. Some were hunters, some were farmers, some were fishermen. This was fisher people. Some had cities, which is yes. something that we really need to remember. Yes. In other words, just picking any old local group of people and enslaving them to, to become to do farming work, to do agricultural <laughs> labour, was not going to simply work. No. <laughs> it, it, logically speaking, you know, oh look, we're going to imprison a bunch of hunters and tell them to till to, to dig fields. You know, not. Going to work? No, no. What is this? We don't understand. And Why? also, and that's <laughs> and that's before we even get into the nature of um, the respect and the view of nature itself that the nations have. Yeah. This idea of mass tillage of of of, of mass producing crops and 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 and, and creating agriculture at, the, at, at a global level that allows them to sell you know mm. is a whole other thing entirely and of course you know you see so you're not just imprisoning a group of people and saying hey work for this you're also saying we'd like you to totally throw out your worldview in favor of our economics yes <laughs> not gonna happen uh. so instead they went fine we'll transport people from africa now that transportation was nightmarish. The ships. Yes. This is this is not oh luxury cabins and going for a walk on deck when I feel like it. This is head to toe jammed in, chained up. You are swimming in human filth because you, there is no toilet. You're not allowed to go to the toilet except where you sit. Um, there is minimal amounts of food and drink. Occasionally, you're allowed up for air. Uh, or they hose down the, while they hose down the deck below, and then they put you back in. And so, unsurprisingly, huge numbers of people tried to find ways to kill themselves or to injure themselves, so they could they would they wouldn't be sellable at the other end. So the, where where some could jump over the side and drown, they preferred that to losing their freedom on the auction block when they got to the to, to the Caribbean. Yeah. Um so it was a a trade that not only traded in human life but it traded in human misery and it resulted in not just a massive movement of population throughout the world but it also resulted in a huge amount of wealth for countries that benefited from it particularly mm. European countries and of course the British Empire. Yes. Which is the and point you were making. Yeah, we need to remember that this is not just a few hundred thousand, this is millions of people. This is tens of millions of people and all mostly able-bodied men and women, young men and women, children were taken um, and forcibly taken across the sea, um, packed in like sardines. You were literally toe-to-toe, head-to-head, um, the pictures that you see, those very famous ones of what the slave ships were like, is mm. just, you can't, it must have been hell on earth. It must have been just absolutely disgusting. I mean, apparently most of the men were done that head to toe all the way around the ship, while women were allowed to be up on the uh, top. But that wasn't better because they were horribly abused. So it's just... Slavery is one of the darkest points in in Hing- I was going to say British history, but in but world just history, globe. yeah, agreed, yeah. world history, yeah. Um, obviously, it's still a problem now, um, but the triangular trade still leaves a massive scar on 
Africa, Europe and Americas. Um, I mean, the fact of once the triangular trade stopped, many tribes and nations collapsed because they didn't have anything to support themselves anymore. And that's when uh, European countries came, la, 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 we'll just take this land as well. So it's that triple kind of colonialism. Yes. Simply enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think you've done a very, very, very good job of, of bringing together exactly all the things that make it so horrible, so frightening. Um, yeah. and, and, and I think to bring it back to the film, um, the, the, the slave ship Zong is the first time that these conditions are revealed to a wider public who weren't aware of them via the court trans- uh, transcriptions and the, the newspapers. Yeah. Um, there's a famous diagram of how slaves were laid out in the Zong that was produced for the court, which is now part a regular source in um, the lessons in, in the British curriculum for the, when people do lessons on the Zong. Um, when people think of a slave ship picture, that's the one they think of. Yeah. Now, yeah. the specific case was not a case about slavery. It was a case about insurance. Mm. And which tells you something straight away about the treatment of slaves. And this is one of the reasons why Belle as a film is so interesting is because she herself is seen as a very, as as a modern person becoming in that she becomes enlightened to her own unique situation but the political ramifications of her situation you she is not this is not just a costume drama in which the person simply uh evolves as a character in terms of personal development it's also um the the coming of age of a the politicization of a young black woman yes you know who goes from being somebody who who starts to who's been raised by a rich white family who starts to uh, get to an age where she sees that she is treated differently from others and why that mm-hmm. she is their limitations placed on her starts to realize that there are times when the family do not want her in front of more, more other people and that there are pub- issues of how they feel they should be seen in public but also how she starts to change their thinking too yes and I think that's one of the most beautiful things about it. Emily Watson, in particular, as as, they, as, as Lord Mansfield's wife, is, does a wonderful job of conveying her own perspective on things. One of the things I love about this film, and this is why I think it being written and directed by women is also incredibly important, is that the older women in the Mansfield family immediately provide support for Dido because for Belle because she is. A woman. Yeah. And the the film has a very, very clever, very balanced way of talking about um uh of talking about the feminist issues at the time. Mm. Or the the lack of feminism, I should say. You know, the, the difficulty for women, the sexism, the, the gender inequality. And, and and there is a wonderful point in the film where Dido realizes she is doubly limited. Yes. And I think that's really important. It would have been too easy for the filmmakers to only focus on one of those issues and instead they understand that they're completely linked they're intertwined they're integrated and you can't extract them and by the end of the film the the greatest victory that bell's character can achieve is not to have changed her status as a person of color in britain because she hasn't she's simply influenced her great uncle to 
make a decision that will improve the lot of others like her. But what she does do is make, at least in the film's eyes, a good marriage. Mm. One for love, one for that. With a husband that seems to treat her equally. Yes, which is is why it's such a shame he's a fictional character. Yes. (laughs) Because, yes, she did get... She did become partnered to a man called Davinier. However, the man was a clerk and he was French. He was not a young, in- idealistic English <laughs> no, <he laughs> wannabe was, uh, lawyer. <laughs> really, really well. <laughs> uh, Sa- Sam reads very good in the role. Yeah. We need to. Uh, it, 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 you can. We, I don't like to say this, but. You can see why we keep casting Australians in these roles when they <laughs> when they can do such a jolly good job of looking handsome and being emotional as an Englishman. Um, yes. I I, 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 I I suspect there's a number of English actors who might have found this a little bit um, weedy's not the right word. <laughs> He's not weedy. That's not the right word. It's a it's a romantic film. It is a romantic drama. Yes. But she's the lead. Mm. Yeah, she very much is, which is refreshing to see. Because there's even in romantic dramas, you see men and women placed equally as the leads, or the man really sort of takes over. Well, this is her film, truly, if that makes sense. It's yeah, you can definitely tell who the main character is meant to be and who are the supporting players. Yes, so. and and for all his passion and um, do you know what he reminds me of? Uh, in Hidden Figures, which we uh, discussed in a previous episode, yes. you can go back and listen to that on um, Bunkerzilla's Mixcloud page. The character that uh, is the hus the the husband of one of the ladies who is the civil rights guy, the civil oh, rights yes, activist. Yes, yes, him. You know, very passionate. He's very similar. He's yeah. young. He's idealistic. He's passionate about his cause, but he also knows when to be uh, open with his emotions and when to step back and support his partner. Yes. They. There's an interesting between all these films. We're starting to see quite an interesting vision of not in in all of these films that we're you and I are looking at for racial aspects i'm finding it interesting that we're also seeing the issues of masculinity addressed in certain ways and we're starting to perceive um what women as writers and creators see as being a positive male yes and i think that's really healthy because i don't feel like the male characters they they're showing us they don't they're not alien to me they're not unrealistic to me they mm. i look at them and i go yes that's very manly that's very masculine <laughs> you know i don't i don't feel like um i don't see how anybody could watch that and go oh then they're not you know they're, they're neutering the men in favor of the women and all that kind of rubbish Ugh. i can't see how anyone would watch these films and say that the yeah. sam reed is such a you know all that energy that he's bringing as Davinier, as this 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 vicar's son who has morality and religion and belief and passion, and then he wants to channel that into law because, he, as he says, he wants to change the world. Yes. I mean, I can't think of anything more manly than that. <laughs> yeah, but he has a ponytail and wears a hat, so obviously that makes him feminine. Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> given that all men wore, were like that back then, that's hardly. Do you know what I mean? It's the changing yeah, times, know. isn't it? Yeah. Know. Um, you know. Ugh. 
so it's an interesting it's an interesting film um to to, to yeah bell has so many more things going on in it than just bell's story and the stuff that um the stuff about the zong bell is yeah. also is is also a really interesting statement by modern by some modern women looking back at the time and recognizing a woman of the past who is like them yeah would you say that's fair yeah cuz you can see a lot of like issues that we still deal with being brought up um like the whole uh they do say about women being the property of their husbands and although we've moved past that there is still an aspect that is very like that in british society oh absolutely completely and utterly there's there's so many things that are horribly familiar about this period of time yeah you know, as I said, as we said earlier, you know, Mansfield's decisions and his views in Parliament, those those are terribly current now in the political sphere. Um, I mean, later on in his career, the, there was a point where he became Speaker for the House of Lords and they were, uh, the House of Lords and the House of Commons were engaged in a ferocious debate over a particular bill and he ended up stepping down in order to participate again and try and argue uh, because he felt it was important. And, you know, it just makes me think of Burkow and his uh, yeah well no but it, but but his his um it makes me think of his principled yes take on things you know he he's not about to waste everyone's time he's very principled about things but he also says oh and i know when i'm going to step down as well because yeah. i know that there's a you know that there, there there needs to be another speaker and there needs to be a process that under which the speaker is chosen you know it's a recognition of the process as well mm-hmm. um so to come back to how all this connects in Bell, so uh, our wonderful lead Gugu Mbatha-Raw embodies this 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 currently, or at least at the time, not so well-known individual from British history. Yeah, because I'd seen the painting quite a yes. few times, but I didn't know who it was of. Yes, and I think that's something again they really highlight in the film is that. So many paintings of the time have these black people and people of the empire looking adoredly up at their white masters or companions or the thank you for gracing me in your presence kind of looks. And it's like, mm-hmm. Um, well, this was among the first paintings that actually showed a black woman on an equal standing with a white woman, which to some must have been quite daring at the time. Uh, even if she did, she was a lady. So, yes. Yeah. And yeah. It's, you can still see a lot of evidence of those paintings around. And also the fact of, that's why it always gets me that, oh, white is always, uh, Britain has always been white place. It's like, no. No, there's lot. There's always been a minority, yes, but there's always been a black population. There's always been a population of people other than white British, and people just seem to think that it's not that case. And it's like, 
anyone that's like uh they put a there was an argument about a doctor who episode that i saw that mm. they put a black soldier in it in oh a, yes i remember the one yeah i think it's a victorian regiment mm-hmm. and they based it off an actual black soldier mm-hmm. and they still got complaints from like people saying oh they're just trying to be sjw about things it's like no they did their historical research and this is what they found out and it's, mm. yeah well, I mean, one of these days, it's, uh, you and I are going to have to do an episode. Um, we need to I, we need to interview more historians, that's for sure, because yes. uh, you and I are already discussing that. But I'd love to try and talk to the author of Black Tudors. Oh, yes. Because the research, that is one of the most astonishing books I've read of late. I love the fact that it's it, it literally uses existing sources and materials that other historians have looked at for other purposes, but have never join the dot so to speak mm. to say oh wait that means that this char- this person here is a person of color from this part of the world who is in britain at this time for this reason mm. you know and she simply brings it all to life in, in a fantastic way um can't can't recommend that book enough um so bell does that i think quite well with the film yeah i think that um i i, I think there's two issues i have with it so the triangular trade we've defined for the audience, yeah. the Zong case was an insurance case because the owners of the ship that was transporting slaves, threw a, they killed a lot of slaves, basically. They threw them overboard yes. because they said they were too diseased to sell. Now uh, Their claim was that they were running out of water, so yes. um, rather than let them die at first, they'd throw them overboard. And, and claim they were ill. Yeah. And... Um, and, and it was easy to believe they were ill, yes. <laughs> sadly. But the thing was that research and evidence um, gathered by the court led to the indications which Lord Manfield had and which affected, which obviously in, um, helped him decide on the case, uh, indicated that actually the it, water could not have been an issue because the Zong sailed set past four different ports on its way to its destination where it could have put in to get fresh water at any point. Yes. So clear, and that that in Lord Mansfield's opinion indicated quite clearly that fresh water was not the issue. But in addition to that, there is the nature of whether or not human cargo uh, is cargo as opposed to human. Yeah, that's sort of part of the 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 element. That that's the bit that comes out of the Zong case that's so important. Um, while he decides for the insurers. Because the insurers obviously don't want to pay the insurance. No. <laughs> um, and while the, he decides for that on a commercial basis, he makes clear in his statements, in his closing statements, that actually this is this is this is about more than just the the insurance. This is about whether or not you can even insure people um, as cargo. Yes, I mean he, you can insure human life, but that's a yes. very different type of insurance. Precisely, and yeah. and and so the Zong case is important, but not simply because it. Uh, it it makes it clear that these men were that the the, the transporters of slaves were the were the slavers were using uh, were were trying to uh, buck the law for, a, for to make money, but also it makes it quite clear that actually this is you know it, it adds to his earlier judgment in the Somerset case in which he makes it clear that ownership of slavery is not established in English common law. Mm. It might be in the colonial law, in other words, throughout the empire, but not in England by law. Um, you know, this adds to it. You, what you see is you see Earl Mansfield 
being affected and this is quite this is something the film makes explicit is his relationship to Dido Bell is affecting his judgment but he sees that as a positive yes it isn't that it's making him more emotional as a judge and and at one point in the film one of his fellow lawyers says suggests to him that maybe his relationship to Dido is affecting him and he he points out quite clearly that actually the law is the law and he believes in the law mm. but his but the law is also something that affects how people behave and therefore if he is you know if he is so informed by it then fine you know he doesn't see a problem with that because ultimately he believes in the law and i think that's kind of a, a really interesting again we don't see that so often anymore in um uh in films it, it, you know when we do legal films they're always thrillers yeah, yes. there always has to be somebody who's done something terrible. We 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 don't we don't often see that side of the legal process where people are passionate about what laws are and why we have them and why they're important and why what, and therefore why we need to either fight them or support them or argue them. Um, and I think it's really great that Lord Mansfield gets shown that way, but also that young Davinia is shown that way, yes. and Belle is shown that way because in real in real life she was she pretty much acted as a secretary for Lord Mansfield throughout her years, and um, in this film that's exactly what she does. Yes, and like you see her sneakingly try and read up on what's going on because in the film they've hidden the case from her. Yes. Because it's like, no, that's too sensitive. She yes. doesn't need to know kind of thing. And um, so she's absolutely sickened when she hears of what's happened and that sort of thing. Um, and then you see her rifling through her papa's papers and learning mm. and just sort of trying to educate herself on what's actually happening. And I think that's quite... Although it's not how it happened, it's quite a nice way to show it, if that makes yes, sense. Yes, I agree. It shows the agency of women in that time. They weren't just sitting around doing nothing or sewing or playing the piano all day. They still had agency. They were... There's a lot of agency in this film. Yeah. Penelope Wilton's aunt, for example, who is effectively a housekeeper because she never got to marry, it's made clear that she never married because she didn't think any of the men that she could marry were worth her time or effort. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's also made clear that she has a lot of time for Dido. Yes. As she gets older and is very supportive, immensely supportive in very subtle ways. Um, yeah, no, I think you're right. I, but again, this is what happens when you have women writing and directing the film. Yes. Is that all levels of female character are given agency. Or at yeah. least they can be. I mean, not every yeah. woman writer and director may do that. I don't know. We're, we're, I'm generalizing. That's not fair. Yeah. In this <laughs> film, in this film... Um, they do. I will say the maid character has even given some agency because oh, wonderfully um, so. The fact of Dido is really struggling with her hair because obviously she's been taught how to treat white hair, yes. and then the maid comes along who is, happens to be black as well and teaches her how to deal with her own hair, and it's well, a lovely little moment because. But it's, it's also quite a complicated moment because yeah. she she does part of the reason she tries to do her own hair is she doesn't want another black woman to be her maid. Mm. She doesn't mind having a white person be a maid and help her with her hair. But she sees a black woman and she's starting to feel solidarity. Yes. She's looking at another black woman going, you're like me. And then the next day she questions whether or not she's a slave or not. So Yes. 
which yes. is quite an important scene. And it turns out she isn't. Uh, she's a freed woman and she gets an income. But still, you can understand why she was questioning that because of everything that's going on at the time. Um, and you can see the white characters of her family all very uncomfortable <laughs> around it and just sort of go having sort of like, this isn't the sort of breakfast table discussions kind of thing, trying to use that to hurry the conversation along and that sort of thing. So mm. The other thing I like is it also puts the maid on her side. Yes. Because there's a point later on where um, they're looking for Dido and Dido's run off to listen to the court, which she's not supposed to do, and the maid lies... Yes. Oh no, she's gone to see Davinia. Sorry, that's yeah. it. And the maid lies point blank <laughs> to, to, to her owners on that basis, you know. And I just love the way I love that moment. I just again, it's a very cleverly well built film in that things that are revealed along the way become setups for later moments. And as you say, they're character moments frequently as well, even for the minor characters. It, yeah, uh, it's, it is a very, very, very well put together film. Um, so, um, in this podcast, what we always do is we say to people, uh, what do we think is the amount of the film, roughly speaking, that has real, that shows, that has historical value if you were treating it as a secondary source or a source for discussion, or if you were using it to tell someone else about the period. Uh, in my case, as a school teacher, you know, does this, does this have validity to be used in class? Uh, you and I always assign a percentage. Mm-hmm. Of how much of it we consider real, R-E-A-L, history, and how much we consider it real, R-E-E-L, history, fictional. So, Jenna, you first. Uh, so, I'd put it at roughly about 40% this time. Okay. And that was my tummy grump. <laughs> 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 oh, we're having a delightful podcast today. Um, so, the reason I put it at 40% is because it's taken this woman's life and the period of the time and sort of smushed it all together mm-hmm. um, into a year as well. So all of her romantic um, tribulations, is that the right word? That's a fair word, fair yeah. word. Um, happen all at the same time that this Zong case is going on when that wasn't the case. Um, the character of I still can't say his name, uh, Mister De Bear. I couldn't. Davinier. That's it. I'm really bad with names. That's okay. Yeah. Um. He sort of he wasn't even English. He was actually a Frenchman. He was more of a clerk rather than a um one wanting to be a lawyer and being a reverend son. Um. But he sort of represents a lot of the youth movement of the time of a lot of young men were starting to rail against slavery, were seeing it as the big moral campaign of their time. Um, Obviously, this is a bit of a generalisation, but it seemed to be a very young man's movement in how it's portrayed a lot of the time. Um, There is the important fact that, uh, as I said was represented by bell that there were a lot more black players in this uh situation a lot of americans ex-slaves were coming over from the americas to talk about their experience to talk about slavery to talk about the harsh conditions that were both on the plantations and in the ships um they were 
they were there sort of representing their stories and a lot of books got published at the time as well which was slowly helping to change the mood which is something that is sort of not brushed aside but it's not something that's mentioned in this story there's also um when she goes to the court case itself you can see there are quite a few black men there with the fan wigs that everyone else is wearing mm. and so that could be seen as sort of representing that but obviously it's not mentioned mm. who they are mm. um, yeah i mean this is something i didn't really learn about until i went to talk um that my uh, local historical association put on which i'm a committee member of and i would highly advise anyone that um has the means to go to these sort of talks to go to them because they're absolutely fascinating and yeah go historical association so <laughs> yeah I, I it's a wonderful organization mm-hmm. um but yeah it's you can understand again as we say every single week i think that why they did what they did none of this is done in bad faith i would say but at the same mm-hmm. time it will I can see a student writing up that Bell gave the sheets of uh, saying about... um, Oh, Mansfield's notes. Yes, to Mm. people that were campaigning against, which isn't something that happens. As far as we're aware. As far as we're aware. But at the same time, it's interesting, and you can see why they've done that, and it causes the link between them to to become stronger. Mm. So... Yeah, I think here's an, here's a, there's a number of things I think I I mean I I would go fifty percent which is not much more yeah um and I think I think and I don't want to do a dis- and like you say we're not doing a disservice to the creators we're just very aware that uh, perhaps more so with this than with other films but that there is a they've used so much history yeah. that, that that it's really obvious that they've used it in fictional ways yes yeah. <laughs> um as you say by while we get her an early portion of her life when she's a child, uh, and kudos to the child actor as well, yeah. um, we, you're right that that they do focus a great deal of events down from later. Like she was 19, she was 36, I believe, when the Zong case was tried. Yeah, but she's eight, she's 18 in when certain other events happen earlier in her life and so this film brings all of that. As you say, it it, it shrinks the timeline quite rapidly. Yeah. Um, while we're used to that being done for fictional purposes, I'm increasingly of the opinion that audiences have no trouble following along with title cards and dates on screen. And, you know, I don't think it's impossible to tell. I mean, you and I was having the same conversation with um, with uh, an episode that I don't think has aired yet, which we recorded on The Other Berlin Girl. Yes. You know, um, we were, it's, it's a thing that filmmakers and creatives often feel is important to lend urgency to the viewer. And I'm not mm. convinced, uh, the older I get, the less I am convinced by the idea that we are see, that we need to be given this idea that what we see on screen is a single fluid narrative crashing through a certain time frame. You know, it's one thing to write a piece of fiction like Lethal Weapon and say the whole thing happens in a weekend. Yeah. Great, fine. Action-packed. You want a clock on it because of the bad guys versus the good guys. Mm. With history, sometimes it's really important to know how long things took. Yeah, especially because in those sort of times, they didn't have the internet or reliable mail or anything like that. It's uh, 
things took a while. Yes, and I think it would have been really interesting to see her grow mm. older, and a it would have given the given the actress more scope. But I would have liked to have seen her have the debates and the discussions with with Lord Mansfield as he tries the Somerset case first, yeah, and then the Zong case, and then we would have understood more, and maybe see. Maybe see what happens when he meets and talks. If he did met and talk with people who were abolitionists, yeah, like Granville Sharp in the Somerset case, and then we could see what. And and then if we're going to fictionalize, let's fictionalize at that point her experience of encountering them. Let's see that awakening happen rather than just happening very very fast. Let's see mm-hmm. how it happens in real time a little bit more at least. Um, and and let's. You know, t- film and uh, television less so, but both film and television. There's there's this tendency to make things happen um, in a flash. There is a yes. a moment where we can visually say, "Look, they've realised things," and mm-hmm. and life is sometimes like that, and frequently not like that. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that may be a thing that's starting to happen a lot in the films you and I are watching. I think we're going to have to pick a couple of films that. Um, that do deal with longer time frames. Yeah. Like the right stuff, for example. Mm. Um, I think we're going to have to do that just to, to, to see how, when it is done, how it can be done well. I mean, I think the flip side of this, not, sorry, the flip side of this, the, I think the precise um, example of this argument is where you get something like, which we haven't covered yet, something like Dunkirk, mm. where, you know, the, the, the Nolan narrows down the experience of war to a very, very focused point. Yeah. You know, and we're about to get another one from Sam Mendes doing 1917 and World War One, where he's doing, apparently he's doing the whole thing as a single shot, oh, single wow. camera take style film. So we will be there in the moment. But again, he's, that's an incredible narrowing down. Yeah, that's one event of a series of mass events. Basically. Yes, and I and and if you're doing it for entertainment purposes, I understand that, particularly for thrillers. Yeah, uh, seventy one does that with the with the conflict in Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. You know, it narrows the whole thing down so that the whole thing just becomes like a thriller. You know, will this guy stay alive or not? And that's all that matters. We're not going to quite look at the politics in depth. I, th- no, I'm not always sure if if that's all you're trying to make. Fine, mm-hmm. but I think if you're trying to show a bit, if you're trying to let us in on the bigger picture. And how it affected people, I think you've got to do a bit more work. And I think I think Bell walks a really fine line with that. I think um, I think it's a shame that we uh, things that they did change. I w- I wish they'd left Davinier as French. Yes, I think it would have been important to show that there are views on slavery with people who weren't English or American. Mm. That could be, whether or not we don't know if he was an abolitionist or not. We don't know. So if you're going to fictionalize him as an abolitionist, why not show us that the French have a point of view on this? Yeah, uh, that would have been interesting. I think the fact that her mother is dead in the movie but wasn't in reality is in a hugely important point. Um, I think it would be really, really important that you know, we have uh, research suggests at the moment that we think that she was set up uh, by her father in a house in um, in Florida. Okay. So in the 1770s, I think that could have been really interesting and useful. To have yeah. this whole business of my mother is not here, I have been forcibly separated. You know, I think that's really important to her identity. I mm-hmm. think that would have been good to leave in. Um, so, you know, I think that I think those elements are important. I, I I also understand, for example, why they 
they the the her her cousin Lady Murray in the film has no inheritance. Yeah. Which in theory puts her down a notch on the social rung from Belle, but in reality they both had inheritances. Yes. And Belle um, wasn't quite as big as well, so Yes. Yeah. And I and again I feel like while they did while they made the change for dramatic purposes and it serves an interesting it gives the drama an interesting zing I'm not convinced that that doesn't do the character of Dido herself a disservice, mm. slightly. Because I think it would be more interesting to see her and Lady Murray as on a similar level, rather yeah. than on a level, on, 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 on this level that needs to be, you know, it depends on her good grace to say, hey, look, here's some money, you know, to show her as the better person. I don't think we need that to know mm. she's the better person. I think they've already, by the time that scene comes around, I think they've really established her as caring and wants to look out for a, I think it's sister cousin they kind of refer to each other as. Yes. they've been pretty much brought up together as sisters, even though they are cousins. Yes. So, and it's, you can already see that she's got a close relationship with her. So. Yes, so I don't think they needed to have the, the monetary issue go in there as well. I yeah, thought that was a bit much. Yeah, especially the sort of monetary issue sort of leads to nothing really because it sort of yes. just the next scene the uh, Draco um, is Mal- announced to be uh, mar- um, Tom Felton yeah um, is his character announced to be marrying someone that we've never met and this mm. co- a relationship that's completely off screen um, mm. but yeah it's I mean that's there because it's about it's the drama of it. Yes. It's, trying, it it's resolving the the gender issue side of the storyline. Yeah, it's some, not resolving it, but partly resolving it, mm-hmm. um, and showing you how difficult it was and uh, at the time and all that sort of thing. So I think that it has a place, but I agree with you. It's not um, it's not necessary for it's not a necessary. It, that that's why the film feels like Downton sometimes. Yes, things happen just because they're entertaining. And they're part of the storyline, and they're not actually historically accurate or necessary. And I think that's a shame. I think the reality creates other dynamics that are really interesting yeah. for drama. So, so yeah, I'll go with fifty-fifty on it. Um, okay. Doesn't mean I didn't love it. I actually cried a couple of times. I thought it was a great <laughs> film. I, I really enjoyed it. The scene where she's scratching at her skin is oh, that was. Moving. That was brilliant. That was absolutely amazing scene. You, you, you. I can relate to that. I know other people who I'm sure can relate to that. It's a terribly modern, utterly. It feels so real. Um, yeah. I found it quite horrifying and emotional. Um, Obviously, yeah. as a woman, I found that scene very moving. But I have different connotations to it. Being a white yes. woman. Because I've never felt uncomfortable about my colour of my skin, apart from, I guess, when I learn about atrocities that were committed by Mm -hmm. my ancestors, basically. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm not... I'm still proud about being British. I live as a British woman. I see myself as European. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Europe as a whole inflicted a horrible hundreds and hundreds of years over the world and the scars of it are we still are living with mm-hmm. so yeah. seeing that clawing at the skin does so much oh that scene yeah yeah 
So uh, on on that basis, I think so. I think we agree then. So forty forty percent on your side, real history, fifty yeah. percent of my view, which I think is good for a film that is not only a historical drama but is also incredibly entertaining, brilliantly made, and which we really enjoyed. Yes. Right. So, uh, Jenna, where can people find you online? So they can find me at Nadesco Kitty on Twitter. Um, I also do have a Kofi, which is Jenna Pateman. Uh, all links are on the Bunkzilla website, so go there and also see columns that I've been writing. So fantastic, yes. and I can be found uh, at Forty Eight Consultancy on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, or if you want to talk to me about non-work related stuff you can find me at uh, Hugh K. David and in addition all podcasts published by 40A Publishing uh, are tweeted at via 40A Publishing so yeah several places to find us Uh, anyway thank you very much and uh, we will be talking to you very very soon from Bunkerzilla on another episode of Real History yes it might be spooky we shall see we shall see (laughs) Bye. Right. Bye now.